Hi everyone, welcome to The Lab Report, a podcast that will show you the inner workings of the clinical lab through discussions, interviews, and stories. Most importantly, you will see what goes on behind the scenes in the clinical lab and how it can impact you. Welcome to this episode of The Lab Report. This is the third and final part in our series on drug testing in the opioid epidemic, focusing on the role of clinical biochemists in this realm. In our last episode, Drs. Berrio and Delaney introduced us to the concept of harm reduction and how a drug checking program fits into this. In this episode, we're going to delve further into the Toronto drug checking program, exploring the importance of clinical biochemists the impact of this program, and what is on the horizon. Now we're really getting a bit into the weeds of these uh, specific laboratory challenges with drug checking programs. So could either of you comment on, well, how has our roles as clinical biochemists uh, lent itself to drug checking programs in Toronto? Well, our expertise as biochemists directly relates to this type of testing. There are are already biochemists who are trained and specialized in toxicology, so so this translates perfectly to the analysis performed through drug checking. As I mentioned before, there are many types of methodologies that can be used, and in all cases, we can offer valuable expertise to ensure the methods are running optimally and being interpreted um, appropriately. So for example, I mentioned before, fentanyl test strips are really just like any other point-of-care drug testing device. And um, mass spectrometry-based methods are are common methods used for clinical toxicology testing and and urine drug screening. Um, So these are all methods that we are familiar with as part of our day-to-day. And aside from analytical expertise, there are many other ways that biochemist involvement in drug checking can have a direct impact on patient care. Having an understanding of what's circulating in the unregulated drug market can help, for instance, help biochemists with clinical consults. Um, So for example, we had a call from the ICU recently where a patient came in with, they believed was an opioid overdose, but interestingly, their their fentanyl and their opioid screens were both negative, and the clinical team called us to discuss. Um, And understandably, these negative results were confusing and um, were complicating patient care. But thankfully, because of our knowledge of what's circulating in the drug supply, we knew that there were these novel opioids um, kind of emerging called nidazine opioids. And we also knew that we couldn't detect these drugs with our traditional clinical assays. So we were able um, to communicate this to our clinicians and and bring some clarity to their clinical lab test results. That's really interesting, Sarah. And again, I think it is good for all of us to understand that for drug testing, it isn't as simple as it's there or it's not there. You know, there are these nuances, especially if we talk about opioids and how quickly people can put in new forms, how that can really undermine when we believe a result is true. Even though, you know, as you said, the fentanyl screen was negative, it doesn't mean that this patient did not have an opioid on board. Do you have any other examples from your experience now in setting up this Toronto drug checking program? of other aspects of laboratory testing that folks that aren't really well-versed in laboratory testing are not able to appreciate or consider that would affect the quality of this drug checking program? 
Absolutely. So like I mentioned earlier, there, there are a number of different ways to set up a, a drug checking program. And so for a non-lab personnel uh, looking at something like this, you know, I don't want to get too into the weeds, but I'll say that the technology that you use is very important. So dipsticks, for example, that similar to uh, running a pregnancy test, these are for drugs, these are terribly unhelpful and can be misleading. So for example, you could test a drug with a fentanyl dipstick and it comes up negative. Great. You know, you think you're safe. It, it doesn't mean that carfentanil isn't there it, or some other very potent drug that will harm you. So these dipsticks can give the individual a false sense of security when in fact the drug uh, may not be safe at all. So that, that's an important aspect to think about when, when setting up one of these drug checking programs and thinking about harm reduction and how best to support or help a person with uh, using drugs. Could you maybe explain in the example you gave, we understand why the dipstick is not really an ideal way to do a drug checking program. Are there any situations or scenarios where that might be considered and that might be the better choice? Yeah, I mean, so we're describing a drug checking program that's very sophisticated and that works very well within you know, larger cities and centers that can support this. When you start talking about rural areas that maybe don't have easy access to hospitals or care or, or drug checking itself or safe consumption sites in itself, then you really have nothing. And so in that, in that aspect, you know, having fentanyl dipstick to see, well, maybe you didn't want, uh, you were looking for a drug like cocaine and you don't want it to be contaminated with fentanyl. So running a fentanyl dipstick in that case, just to make sure that fentanyl itself is not there, could be useful. And so it's not without uh, application. But if you have a choice, I would say steer clear from fentanyl dipsticks and, and move towards the larger drug checking programs that we, we should set up really nationally. We actually do have um, individuals from outside of Toronto collect samples from, let's say, Hamilton region, Guelph, and bring it into our drug checking program. So as much as we only offer the service locally, we do have people who are coming from far and wide to access it. That's really good to hear that the impact of your drug checking program is beyond just our you know, metropolitan city. I think that also shows how impactful and how needed this service is really. And like you said, Dan, ideally we do have a national drug checking service. But again, I think appreciating that, you know, we are very lucky in Toronto to have all these resources. That is absolutely not the case for many other places, locations in our country that also need this service as well. So that's been great, you know, all these challenges and hurdles and how to get people who are not trained in laboratory testing to understand all of these things matter in terms of setting up a quality drug checking program. Uh, maybe we'll try to wrap up now with some positive notes. So from these few years that you've set it up and this drug checking program has been running, what have you seen has been some of the major benefits and positive impacts, let's say on an individual basis? Oh man, there are tons of benefits to um, the individuals accessing the service. 
first off, like Dan said, it provides a gateway to other harm reduction services. Um, he mentioned that 38% of individuals who use Toronto's drug, drug checking service had never accessed harm reduction services before. So that's 38% more people who then gain access to um, health and other social services. So it's fantastic. But the most direct benefit is that drug checking provides potentially life-saving information about the composition of their drugs. Individuals can get a sense of the exact dose of, say, fentanyl or um, designer benzodiazepines um, in their sample, or will get an idea of what contaminants might be in their drug sample. So an example of this um, is that fentanyl might be contaminated with, uh, with designer benzodiazepines and um, this contamination might cause unwanted or dangerous effects in the person using drugs. So um, knowing this is, is super helpful. And another thing is that many service users will modify their behavior after accessing the service by doing things like um, they'll give feedback to their seller or they'll decide to use with a friend or do a test dose before they you know, use their full, the full drug that they acquired. Um, or sometimes they'll decide to have naloxone handy. So there's lots of different ways that drug checking can, can directly help people um, who are accessing the service. I, I want to emphasize on what you said, Sarah, which is that this has been a life-saving service, especially if we um, pair that against the stats that Dan was giving in the beginning about the number of deaths that occur because of basically people not having informed knowledge of what they are taking or using. How about benefits on like a wider scale? So like population or for society? So without this service, for example, we, we have no data on street level drug composition. So the composition of drugs seized at borders or airports by police services are typically cleaner, less contaminated. By the time it gets to say the end user, the, the person that uses drugs, the drug itself is heavily contaminated, uh, mixed with other drugs or mixed with compounds known as fillers. So these could be sugars, caffeine, mannitol, and, and some even more dangerous types of drugs uh, that are not recommended for humans, like xylazine, which is a veterinary tranquilizer. Uh, so this service provides a better understanding of what drugs and users are putting into their bodies from a health impact point of view. Uh, when we compile the data on a weekly or monthly or yearly process, it becomes a very powerful tracking or monitoring tool of drug trends in the city, showing patterns of specific potent drugs that appear and then disappear over time. This information is publicly shared on our website, and we send regular reports to Toronto Public Health and Health Canada, uh, letting them know what is in these drugs. So at the provincial or federal level, this type of information can better inform policymaking decisions. At the medical level, it can provide more detailed information to clinicians as to what they might expect to see on their next, say, EMS call, or within the next week in their emergency departments, or in terms of patients attending addiction medicine clinics. For clinical laboratories, because the unregulated drug market is constantly changing, and that really may, adds to the complexity. This information that we provide better informs clinical laboratories as to how to better dial in their own drug testing methods 
so they aren't missing any drugs on reports to their their physicians. Thanks, Dan. You know, I, I want to use an analogy that I hope our audience is going to be able to understand as well. You know, during the COVID pandemic, everyone was obsessed with COVID news and COVID statistics and science. And I remember people loved understanding how Public Health Ontario would track the amount of COVID that was shed into like our fecal waste and fecal water. And I think everyone who's listening to this should understand that this opioid crisis has been happening over a decade and COVID only happened for a few years. And what you guys are doing is exactly what they were doing, which is tracking what do we see in our population, which as we know is very helpful in determining the more appropriate policies or lab testing changes that we need to do to really curb this crisis. To summarize all of these benefits that both of you have listed, can we have like a final comment on how have you been able to demonstrate the value of this Toronto drug checking program? So absolutely, we demonstrated value in Canada, both on an individual and population level. The individuals that access the service and the staff at the safe consumption sites in Toronto are actually very worried right now uh, whether or not we'll lose our funding for this program. Our program is a five-year pilot project that ends uh, this year, and there's no guarantee we'll be funded to continue. So overall, if we have to stop this program, the safe consumption sites, the staff, Toronto Public Health, they expect to see less people using harm reduction services. As we talked about drug checking being a gateway to get people in the front door of these harm reduction services and more deaths will occur due to drug overdoses because they're, they're not understanding what's in their drugs. So without drug checking, I like to relate it to, you know, it's, it's like a game of Russian roulette. This is a crude example, but the individual doesn't know what's in their drug sample that they're taking and whether it's going to kill them. So they have this addiction, they have this need to take it, but they don't know whether or not it's, it's going to seriously harm them or not. And so this is a big, big problem. On a population level, thinking about our medical personnel, public health, provincial, federal committees and agencies, this type of information is invaluable to really understanding what is going on. You can't fix a problem if you have no idea what drugs are even present and what's killing people. Now, the problem we face in demonstrating value, and this will be the one caveat I kind of mentioned, is, is that overdoses and deaths have continued to go up over the last five, 10 years while we've been running the service, but this has been mainly due to the increasing toxic drug supply, more potent drugs uh, having more serious impact on, on each person. However, it would be a terrible idea to mistake, you know, this increase in deaths over the last five years as evidence that the program doesn't work. And I really want to make that point. In fact, the program has greatly helped the Toronto area and blunted far worse outcomes. Thanks, Dan. Um, I hear what you're saying. And again, I want our audience to understand that it's not just looking at the number of deaths that are still occurring. It is really looking at what have you prevented. So if it weren't for this drug checking program, the rate of overdose death would be astronomically higher. Um, and again, that's probably the most emphatic line, which is that this is a life-saving service. For our last question, if our audience wanted to find out more information about 
this drug checking program on their own. Uh, do you have any resources to offer or suggest? Absolutely, we have a really great website um, and I'll give you the address now. It's drugchecking.cdpe.org. Um, and it's great because it kind of gives an overview of our study, but it also um, publishes alerts. So let's say there's a really toxic drug that's emerging in the supply. We'll publish an alert on our website. The ongoing success of this project is also due to our partnership with the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, or CAMH. Um, and we'd like to acknowledge um, the important role that uh, Dr. Christiana Stefan, which is the, the biochemist at CAMH, uh, has in this project. Thank you, Sarah, for those resources. So I think we're at the end. I really want to thank both of you, Dan and Sarah, for being available and doing this podcast with us. Uh, I think it's really important, and I really hope that you guys have continued funding uh, because really it is such an important life-saving service. So thank you both for coming on today. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. So thank you all for listening to this episode of The Lab Report. So please let us know what you think by leaving us a review on iTunes. And you can email us any questions you have at epoc or epocc at cscc.ca. See you in the next episode.